0: just to let you know that Dale is in Watford at Christ First Church, one of our uh, Newground churches there. He's speaking in the morning. He's also visiting some of the elders of the Newground Church in Harrow. So do pray and think uh, for him. We've been looking at the Book of Psalms, and we're diving in again to another one today. But what if we'd started our worship time this morning with a song that went a bit like this? why am I so depressed? I'm overwhelmed. Everybody hates me. I'm exhausted. It'd be a different song, wouldn't it? I don't think any one of us brought that, did we, earlier in the worship time? <laughs> it's biblical, <laughs> as we'll see in a minute. Uh, but maybe we'd all be excused if we came a little bit late the following week, if we'd started off like that. You know, The Psalms are like a box set of compilation albums. And Psalm 42 and 43, which we're gonna look at this morning, are the first of a set of 30 songs in volume two of this box set. And Psalm 42, 43 are all about depression. It's there. And we're gonna look at that subject. Why am I saying 42 and 43? Well, I thought I was gonna be speaking on 42, but the more I got into it, the more I realized actually 43. It's part of 42, if you didn't know. It has, if you flick to it, the same structure. It has the same theme. And it ends with the same chorus as 43, as 42, sorry. And 43, if you note at the beginning, has no new worship leader instructions. And once upon a time, it's imagined that these two sat together, but at some point it got divided up. So it's an optional extra, maybe an appendix, if you want to add on a bit more. So I'm going to read both of those to us, pray, and then we'll open it up together. Psalm 42, it will come up behind me as well if I get out of the way. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against the unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight I will praise you with the lyre, O oh God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my King. Heavenly Father, we thank you in your wisdom and creativity for including that here in the Psalms. Preserve it over generations and still speak through it today for our good and benefit. So Holy Spirit, we invite you now to use this time for us to learn, for us to be inspired, and to be instructed by your word in the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord. Amen. Amen? Amen. Good. Just to draw out a few things. Firstly, it's okay to be a Christian and feel depressed. If you feel low, down, or in the dumps, or depressed as a Christian, from time to time, now or in the past, be encouraged. Why, you might say? (laughs) Well, firstly, I think this psalm teaches us you're not alone. In fact, it's common, so common that God anticipated it, that some of us would get to this state, and included a song about it for us in his word. Secondly, be encouraged, because it doesn't mean... If you're feeling these things, you're an immature Christian or a bad Christian. Your psychological state is not a perfect metric on your spiritual maturity. Okay, let's just separate those things. Thirdly, be encouraged because God doesn't want you to stay there. There is hope, as this psalm indicates. And fourthly, be encouraged because the Bible, including these psalms, are there for our help. They're to help. They're not to beat ourselves up with. They're not to compare ourselves with. They're there for our instruction and our good. We're told right at the beginning of this psalm, actually, that it's a masculine. And it's a bit of a puzzle as to what that might mean, but it may be that it's a teaching psalm. It's there to teach us things. It's not based on one person's experience, but it's a composite put together to instruct us, to equip us, and prepare us. Society is, isn't it, tackling The taboo around mental health. But God got there first, and He knows best. Number two, I want to draw out this point. Depression, if you don't know, feels awful, it's terrible. uh, These psalms are constructed, I think, in like three verses, song verses, interspersed with the same chorus each time. And so I'm going to look at each of those three passages as verses of the song, if you like. And the first one expresses a different emotion from the others. The first one expresses being dry. It begins like this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. There's a desperation. It's a vivid picture, is it not, of utter desperation. Camels in the desert, they're built to survive long periods of droughts. They've got these humps on their back. It contains all they need. They take it with them like some kind of backpack on a picnic. It's there, ready for them. We're not built like camels. We're built like deer. We don't last long in the desert. We don't last long. Before long, we're exhausted. We're wrung out by the stresses of life. We're running on empty. We're at the end of ourselves. That's verse 1. Verse 2, kicking off from verse 6. I'm using verses. Yeah, yeah you get it. Yeah, It's drowning. The metaphor is drowning. It's another watery metaphor, but the opposite one. No longer a lack of water. There's too much water. Verse 7, deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. I sometimes thought to myself, oh, this must be about the Holy Spirit, because the water's often a, an analogy, isn't it, to the Holy Spirit. But it's not, you know, it, it, it's, it's a bad thing, this. we just got to get there. We're kind of culturally separated from these times, I guess. But let us help. Uh, let me help you. In the beginning of Genesis, which we looked at recently, it talks about the chaos and disorder that was there before creation came. The deep has those connotations. The Spirit hovered over the deep right at the beginning of our Bibles. The deep was a a thing of terror to the hearer of these psalms. The waves and breakers sweeping over me, they were words that Jonah used to describe the moment he was thrown overboard from a boat into the raging sea. Waterfalls, we think of as nice things, don't we? We look at the pictures of them. We might go to the Niagara Falls. Well, how about being in a barrel going down the stream and you're heading towards the Niagara Falls? It wouldn't look so attractive then. I think that's the sentiment that's coming here. This person, we may feel overwhelmed, out of our depth, battered by the things of life. It's an equally desperate situation. Even geographically, it's kind of in contrast, but equally desperate to to the first verse. Because the desert was in the south of the country. These mountains, the hills of Hermon, etc., they're in the northern borders but still equally far and distant from Jerusalem, the center of Israelite worship and the presence of God in the temple. I don't know of these different ones. You identify with some more than other. That's okay. For me, I identify with feeling overwhelmed more than I feel dry. That's been my pattern, my history, if you like. I remember agreeing to be a youth leader at another church's weekend away. I was in my early 20s. I had no experience of this. I was a little bit keen, I guess, at the time, and I said yes. And I couldn't, I could, ah, it had gone. I didn't know these young people. I didn't really know the church. I didn't have a team with me. I said yes, I'll do that. I had a full time job. I didn't know. I had a clue. And as the day loomed in the diary, oh my, did I feel overwhelmed? I felt myself sinking at moments for months, actually, in a previous job. I found myself responsible for the operational success of a large international research project for a blue-chip company, and it was going wrong. Let's bring in someone who might know a thing or two about how to organize it. They picked me. I had the clue. It was going from bad to worse. I had to get to work early. I was leaving late. It was draining everything in me. We just didn't seem set up. This was too, too much for the company. We hadn't been organized like this before. It was something new and different, and everybody was, who was involved in it was just crumbling and being crushed by it. I was trying to pull it all together. Frankie, I know that one. You might do too. And the third verse, going into um, Psalm 43 here, is desertion. Feel deserted. He says this, vindicate me, God, against the unfaithful nation, the deceitful and the wicked. He talks about being rejected, of mourning, of being oppressed by the enemy. That sounds bad. This is a situation where you're not only alone, but you're hated. Having no friends is distressing, isn't it? If you've experienced that, maybe experiencing it now. But having only enemies is worse. We could talk about the internet, it's done lots of good, it's brought people together, but there are moments where it's just exaggerated the opportunity for hate-filled messages to spring to strangers, and you're on the receiving end of these things, cyberbullying and the rest of it. It's horrid. You've been unfriended, oh, deserted. A third thing I want to pull out here is depression impacts everything. It really does. The psalm indicates that. It doesn't really tell us in this psalm what's the cause, what's the consequence of the depression. It doesn't sort of dissect it like that. But it does illustrate how depression can actually impact every area of life. As humans, you see, we're so complex, beautiful, yes, but interconnected. We can't just solve it with a sticking plaster, these things. Everything's affected. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah, we're quick to recognize it now, aren't we, as mental health challenges this psalm i think does likewise but it goes on and shows how other aspects of life have been affected emotionally reading in this psalm there's a deep sadness here verse 3 there's constant uncontrollable 24 hour a day sobbing in in just sadness there's deep sorrow likened to mourning on a couple of occasions mourning grieving the dead it feels like that there's a sadness deep within me Physically, we're affected. A loss of appetite again in verse 3. Verse 10, there's this physical illness. My bones are suffering mortal agony. Physically, we're affected. Relationally, we're affected. We feel isolated. There's this reminiscing in verse 4 about being once part of the festival. I was part of the party. I was with the celebration of God's people in God's presence, but no longer. It may have been exile, it may have been you know, on the run, as David was from his son Absalom. It may have been the dividing of the nations of Judah and Israel that left some people feeling these kind of things. We're not sure if there's one of these inspirations. It was probably all of that as inspiration. But there's this separation, this is longing for people and this absence of friendship and companionship. Again, we don't know. What the source of the depression is from the symptoms. It's all just bundled up together. Has the illness made them depressed? Or has depression made them sick? Not quite sure. It could be either way. Have they isolated themselves and that's made them depressed? Or are they depressed because they've drifted away from folk? Or have they or the other way around rather, are they depressed and then have drifted away from folk and become isolated? We don't really know. This psalm doesn't tell us, well, to what extent is it nature? To what extent is it nurture? What's personality? What's upbringing? We don't get to answer those questions. And I'm sure all permutations are possible. But either way, this is a situation they're in. You might be in. Now we're in the future. And we just need to realize it's horrible, anyone going through that. Spiritually, of course, as Christians, there's an impact like the psalmist here, we may have a resolute faith. We may keep going. Yes, I'm still believing in God. I'm still talking to him in some form or other. Yet the depression has affected the relationship with God. God feels distant. God does where he is in all this. We've got an enemy, haven't we, believers, who would love to rob us of the peace and of the joy, of the contentment that Christ has won for us. An enemy who'd love to make us feel spiritually dry makes us feel like we're drowning in life, or would make us deserted or feel deserted by others or God Himself. And really, before we go any further, I, I don't know what to say, but these factors are, are there, these influences, this impact upon us is holistic. So, I guess if we're going to make any plan, any recovery, it may be wise to look at all of those aspects, to consider ourselves. In a holistic way yes perhaps counseling can help mentally yes perhaps medicine can help biochemically but I'd have more faith that they will contribute if they're alongside some of these other areas that addresses your physical well-being am I eating well am I staying fit address some of your emotional health Emotional intelligence is a buzzword at the moment. You might have it from your employer. I hope so. If not, it might be coming. Are you intelligent emotionally? Are you explaining? Are you open about what you're feeling? Relationally, let's address relationally how we're doing. How's your marriage if you're married? What's your relationship like with your children? Are you investing in those relationships? How can you in this moment? What about friendships? Have you drifted from groups of friends? How can you get into some circles of just fun? And, and church, are you, are you integrated with God's people? Are you addressing these things? And then spiritually as well, how's your spiritual health? Are you growing as a disciple of Jesus? Are you using what disciplines of spiritual disciplines are available just to engage with God in fresh and new ways? Well, this is where I think Psalm 42, 43 can help us. Of course, the diagnosis and the prescription, if you like, will depend on each circumstance, the severity of the depression, on its nature, and on you as an individual. But I think there are, from Psalm 42 and 3, some timeless lessons that God is instructing for all of us. There are things we can do. There are things we must do. And we've got to say, I guess, we don't know whether by doing these things the depression will be lifted or not. We don't know. In fact, even for this psalm, we don't know. There's no sense at the end that the depression has gone. The, the last words of the, the repeated chorus, why, my soul, are you downcast? There's no resolution. There's no, ah, change of key from a minor to a major. The happy moments come. No, there's none of that here. We don't know. But still, God would say, you know, come on, put these things in place. There's some things that God, I think, expects of us. And it's only us that can do them. Others can help at times, but it's only you who can go through Psalm 42 and 43. So what are they? Well, let's just open some of these things in up. Uh, I guess I'm looking at that, primarily that uh, chorus. You see it three times, verse 5, verse 11 at the end of 43 there as well. Firstly, there's an onus on us to face up to our feelings. You need to pour out your heart to God, or just pour out your heart. As is encouraged in verse 4. You know, some of us have a tendency to suppress emotions. and I think actually even as Christians, that tendency increases somehow. We feel like we might be letting ourselves down, letting others down, letting God down if we admit to some of these emotions. But other than opening up, what is the alternative? We could try and escape them. Well, you'll probably come against some vice that you use that numbs the pain, makes you forget for a moment, but really is no solution. You can pretend they're not there, these emotions. They don't exist. You can withdraw from folk, just put up some barriers, protect me for a while, then you find you're on your own. <laughs> you can treat the symptoms, perhaps, but not get to the root is- issue. But being emotionally open is where we start the psalmist is saying here, why are you downcast on my soul? He starts by opening up to himself or herself. Why? I'm feeling this thing. I'm acknowledging it. I'm admitting it as much. And I- I- I've confessed it to myself. Yes, I've articulated it to me. That's where he starts. You know, being emotionally open has probably been one of my key life challenges so far. I'd learned to bottle things up, to contain them, to keep them inside. I remember many times sitting on the stairs, just so miserable and and mute. I was unable. I might have had one idea about why I was feeling, but I just wasn't able to speak it out. I remember when my parents suddenly split up. One was leaving the home. Ah, I bowled it out. I couldn't share this with anyone, not even factually, let alone the feelings associated with it for years. So opening up to yourself is where we start, but secondly, open up to God. I think it's really interesting, if you look at verse two here, that the psalmist acknowledges his or her negative emotions towards God in the third person. Maybe it helps. My soul thirsts for you, God. Here's my soul. It's the third person. Talking like that, maybe that helps. Some of you are thinking, hey, uh, what are you talking about, Tim? Are these steps really necessary? Well, if you're like me, they are. Talking about yourself in the third person to God. It might sound like you're going crazy anyway, but it starts. It starts the process. Secondly, what do we do? We open up, then we remember God. The Psalms, many of them often exhort us to remember God, who He is, what He's done, His character, His saving grace. And this psalm is no different. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, He remembers meeting with God, being in His presence with the church, with the people of God. He remembers the joy and the thanksgiving of it all. He remembers the festival atmosphere of being in God's presence with His people. Then in verse 6, this theme of remembering God and moments in God comes back. And what's interesting here is he determines to remember God, not despite the depression, but because of the depression. Look at this. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Therefore, it should be kind of a a cause and effect. It should just make us respond that way. If you're feeling low, any level of severity, this is the moment. This is now the time to remember God. I will, therefore, remember you now. You know, what we think about is vital. What are you thinking about? What occupies your mind? What are you filling it with? There are some new data protection laws, aren't there? you're employed you might know a little bit about this or even if you're just trying to respond to all those emails that are coming through asking you for you know (laughs) to sign up again opt in opt out whatever you you know there's some data protection laws coming out and if you're involved in it at all you may have done an information audit I've looked at all the things that we've got and we house and we keep and we store and we uh, we process make a big long list decide what we need to keep what we need to get rid of well, we need to decide to make an information audit, I think, of our mind. An interesting exercise, wouldn't it? What does go into my mind in an average day, in an average week? What what is filtering through into it? From what I watch? How much I watch it? What attitude I'm watching it in? From what I read. <laughs> yeah. Books and like, but more probably this, isn't it? What I read. Going in? What is it that's going in, really? Just do an information audit on ourselves. What do we talk about? What do we listen to? What kind of conversations do we get drawn into? Mindfulness is a new fad. It's come about, hasn't it? seems to have a Scandinavian twinge. I don't know why. We saw an interesting documentary the other day, actually, about it, where children with ADHD were. Um, meditating for two minutes, and they were looking to see if that had any improvement or otherwise. Well, what are we to make of this? I'd agree that a, a, a brain that is empty is dull and dangerous. That's why I'd counsel anyone against yoga and Eastern meditation. I think it's helpful for that reason. But more importantly, what are we filling our minds with? What's going in? The Bible is very clear about this. It talks about it an absolute amount, a lot. I'm just going to run through some verses. Some of these will be familiar with you. They won't come on behind. You might know where they are, but it doesn't matter. This is what we're meant to fill our minds with. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You've got to include the mind in this. We're meant to be loving God. That's our disposition. That's our mode through all the things that we do, and in here. We're loving our minds to be loving Jesus. These are so helpfully, didn't they, when he had the bread and the wine and he gave thanks to it and he gave it out to his disciples. He said, when you do this, eat and drink, do it in remembrance of me. And we still do, don't we? The bread, the physical wine, we're consuming it to remember Jesus. There's a purpose in it, and it's a memory one. It's a mind thing. It's filling our heads again with the gospel of grace. Every time we eat, we can be thankful for what we're consuming because we also have consumed on the goodness of Jesus and we can bring that to mind. The writer to Hebrews sums it up this way, fix your thoughts on Jesus. That's a phrase to think about in the week ahead fix your thoughts on jesus so what else is going around and we've got busyness and there's things to do we've got to focus on other things but fix our mind on jesus it's like the focal point is jesus yes there's periphery stuff we've got to focus on those things too but somehow our our focal length is a jesus focal length in all that we do we've got to fix our thoughts on Jesus, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble and right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. For the Philippians, Paul said, think about such things. There you go. You think it's a bit narrow, what I'm saying here, just thinking about Jesus. Well, think about all those eight things. It will do you good, as it would have done the Philippian church. And Now, this is how we're transformed. It's how we're changed. By God's grace. Romans 12, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How do we get transformed? By the renewing of your mind. It's all here. It's in here that needs to be renewed. It's possible. It can happen. You can be transformed. Your mind can be renewed. But it takes some effort. This verse has become... Significant for many of us in the church as we've gone through things like freedom in Christ and race courses and things like that. It says this, 2 Corinthians 10, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We do. Yes, we do. That's what we do, church. Where are these um, arguments and pretensions that are setting themselves up against God that we need to demolish? Over here. We take captive every thought. And make it obedient to Christ. There's a heart of spiritual warfare, and it's going on between these lug holes and this little space. Rattles a bit, but it's a bit of a space, and it's going on. And we need to cap- take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's a process. There's an intent involved in it. That's our spiritual warfare. That's our battleground. It's in the mind. It's for the mind. And this psalm models something of this. This may be something to take away, maybe look at in life groups. There are snippets of truth scattered throughout this psalm, which are just wonderful. They're just small little bits. A bit like those songs we brought earlier. It's not full of content. It's just enough. But it's enough. And God has been involved in it. And maybe if you're going through depression, you can't focus on much. It's only a phrase, only a word about God you can bring to mind. That's okay. It's enough. Let's look at verse 8 recalls by day the lord directs his love that's it it's enough by day the lord directs his love focus on that god's love you know in any and every day however good or bad it's gone for you whether the beginning or the end of it god is still directing his love towards you in it he's the love director And he's orchestrating, he's still pursuing you with his love. He's still directing you, leading you into his love, steering you in. He's still on that project of revealing his love to you. Embrace it. It goes on and says this, at night, his song is with me. Just know this, even when you sleep, even when you can't string thoughts together, conscious or otherwise, God is singing over you. His song continues. Day and night. I remember singing lullabies to my kids when they were small. I can say that today because they're not here. And they're not embarrassing anybody. I used to sing those little, just silly little ditties, really, when they were going to sleep. I could probably still, I won't know. And uh, you do that, don't you, as a, as, a, as a father, as a mother, as a parent, perhaps. God's doing that. But He didn't stop as soon as I went to sleep like I did. <laughs> He continues on and on. Little snippets like this in verse 9 where he's calling out to God, my rock. Why have you deserted with me? Where are you? Have you forgotten me? God, my rock, though. Amongst it all, he has faith. God, you're my rock. I want to focus on that. I remember doing some body boarding in Cornwall. I'll give it a go. By the way, if you're going to try bodyboarding, don't do it in Cornwall. It's it's got great waves, but if you're a novice, it can be a bit painful. So I came off this bodyboard. wasn't wearing much protective. I won't tell you what I was wearing. Um, And I was just dragged up and down the pebbles and the stones of the beach at the mercy of the Atlantic waves. Up and, oh, oh dear, red raw, not with sunburn. And life can feel like that. You're being dragged up and down like the deep calls to deep. The waves and breakers, they're crashing and sweeping in over me. But know that God is the rock. Whatever these pebbles are doing to me, God is my rock. I'm depending on him. I'm falling on him. I'm clutching on to him. He's my stronghold. In, chapter, in Psalm 43, verse 2, he remembers, God's my stronghold. I've got all these enemies. They're surrounding me. I'm alone. They're against me. I don't know why. What have I done to them? But he remembers in the moment, God's my stronghold. That's it, it's just a fleeting thing. Grabbed onto it. God's my stronghold. He's my tower of refuge. He's the place in which I can ascend and be completely protected. I'm told the stronghold is just for one person to go in. And you go up some spiral stairs inside it. It's impregnable. Didn't say that right. Never mind. I won't try again. And then when when the enemies come, however many they are, they come through one door. So they only can come up the spiral stairs one at a time. You can beat an army of thousands being in the stronghold. And they're coming up in a way where you've got the higher ground. And you're, you're able to use your right hand because of the spiral thing. And there you go, oh dear. You can win. Here's your stronghold. Thirdly, I need to hurry up. Ask yourself why. Three times the psalmist says, why are you so downcast on my soul? Why so disturbed within me? You're asking yourself. This question is a good question. Why am I feeling like that? And there may be some rational things to it. And expressing that can be helpful. There may be a change, a challenge, or some circumstances coming to your life that hmm, you can see how it's linked. But sometimes there's an irrational element. There's no obvious trigger or the feelings are out of all proportion to the events. That's okay. That's part of it too. I think that's a situation described in this psalm. It may have been they were ill or in exile or being persecuted, but they were still asking this question, why am I so downcast? This feeling, yes, okay, there may be some rational reasons for it, but it's it's out of proportion to reality. uh, Those reasons alone aren't the cause. So there's an asking, there's a grappling with this. Like in the psalm, you may not get an answer to that question, by the way. I think it's better to ask than not. And actually, this psalm isn't a self-analysis tool, it, it's a worship song in faith of God, in faith that things can change, in faith that praise will come. So it's asking the Holy Spirit as you're speaking to your soul, it's in the presence of God, you're kind of introducing your soul to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, soul, can you please can you please just chat a bit about, amongst yourselves and let me know. Why am I going through this? What is going on? You may get an answer, you might not. Fourthly, preach to yourself. The chorus continues, put your hope in God. This is not the worship leader of the psalm telling us to put our hope in God. It's you're still speaking to your soul. Why are you so downcast within me? I don't know why the soul's here. Where, could it, where do you think it is? I don't know. Here, yeah. Um, why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. You're, you're preaching to yourself. You're telling yourself. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. You thought that was the first sign of madness, didn't you? The Bible tells us to do this. Most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Don't listen to him. Turn on him. Speak to him. Condemn him. Upbraid him. Exhort him. Remind him of what you know. Instead of listening placidly to him and allowing him to drag you down and depress you. You must beat the gospel into your head. Kind of phrase we've used before, I think. I think this is what Paul talks about when he talks about the spiritual armory in Ephesians 6. He talks about putting on the helmet of salvation. Clunk. What do you do when you're praying? For yeah, the armor of God. I pray for the helmet. No, it's not a nebulous thing. It's, it's, you're preaching to your head, to your mind, the gospel of salvation. Hey, in there, let me remind you, you're saved by Jesus, by his death, by his resurrection. Let me remind you, mind, that you're saved by God's grace alone, not by your works, not by anything you did, no potential you showed, no predisposition you might have thought you had. No, he just saved you. And by faith, he's given you faith to believe in him, in who he is as your saviour and lord, in who you are as his son, as his daughter, as his child, as his ambassador. You've got eternal life, and it's begun. And fifthly, you need to get with God's people. You know, Church is part of the solution, though it often feels part of the problem. It's common for Christians who are spiritually dry, drowning in busyness, overwhelmed by people or pressure to become isolated from the people of God. It just happens, it seems. And we can debate why and the wherefores and the rest of it, but it just seems to happen. Our enemy, you see, doesn't want us meeting together for worship and Bible teaching. He doesn't want us meeting in small groups in a place where we can fellowship and have encouragement, because he knows it will do us so much good. So he keeps us, he distracts us, he puts things in the way of that happening. That's why I think the Psalms longing for God is also expressed as a longing for corporate worship. Happy memories of being in worship times together, of being with the multitude. A desire to be on the holy mountain where God dwells at the beginning of chapter 43, referring to the temple of God, not these distant lonely hills where he thinks he is, but there with God's people. Where God is present. We've got to fight this. The first question that comes up in these psalms is, when can I go and meet with God? And it's answered by the recollections of gathering with other people who are God's people. We need to be with worshipping people. We need to find small groups to pray, to read the Bible together, to share life with. I think that's how the psalm concludes not with, as I say, a lifting of the depression necessarily, but with a returned commitment to worshipping alongside God's people. If you look at 43 verse 3. This is the only prayer, I think, in the whole of it. The only petition. Maybe in depression it's hard to string much of a prayer together, but this is it. Send me your light and your faithful care. Keep prayer simple. Keep it very simple. If this is you. Send me your light. Come To me, Jesus. Father, would you send me Jesus? The light of the world. We've heard about it already this morning. The one who brings light to my own soul. Who brings light to my situation and all I'm going through. Bring light to me. Bring Jesus. Bring the Holy Spirit. Bring your faithful care. The Holy Spirit is the minister of God's faithful care to us. Bring the Holy Spirit. Two prayers. Father, bring Jesus. Father, bring the Holy Spirit. Bring your light. Bring your care. And then it goes on. It says, and let them lead me. Where does Jesus and the Spirit lead you? Where does his light and his care take you? Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell, back amongst God's people, in the presence of God. Then I will go to the altar of God and I will praise you with the lyre, oh God, my God. There you go. I trust that as some encouragement. If or when you feel low, down or depressed, it's okay. Take some encouragement. But don't be passive. Own these psalms.